This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dow Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach, and today I'm delighted to welcome Jeff Cavanaugh to the show. Jeff is going to talk about his live enterprise model that helps companies change their operating models to survive and stay relevant. Jeff, I've been so excited to have you on the show. Having read the galley copy, I am eager to dive into a juicy conversation about the live enterprise. So welcome. Thanks for being with me today. Thanks, Caroline, for having me. Look forward to it. So let's unpack this. How can companies become more competitive by adapting their business models to emulate the live organisms of nature? Well, when we were trying to move our own company from one level to another, we had a lot of folks that liked nature and we liked getting out in it. And we were noticing a lot of these stories that kept popping up and especially the, the aspect of evolution, how nature didn't just happen to get to certain places, but you get things like uh, sunflowers. There's a reason why bees pollinate. It's because they literally have an ultraviolet runway that guides them in to be the most effective with, with that nectar and that pollination. We thought, well, what can we do to build in so we can launch ideas more effectively? Um, we look at an octopus, for example, strange looking thing with, with nine brains, three hearts, eight legs attached to a head. It's crazy. But if you think about it, any one of those arms can be severed and the thing still works. And also those brains are actually out there in the arms and they operate independently of going back to the central nervous system. So it's very quick sense respond. And there are a lot of concepts like that, that when you look to nature, there are dozens of them that we go through in the book. Some are small, some are pretty profound. And we thought that because they have stood the test of time and it's, it's deceptively simple, but when you get below the surface, sometimes literally the earth's surface, they're very complex, and it's that duality of something simple that's profound and yet taking care of the complexity behind it that we adopted as well. So did you bring scientists and biologists and you know folks that are, are not traditionally in the business realm to really dig away at this new model? We have uh, woven some folks in. We've had explorers from National Geographic. We've had uh, world leaders in sustainability, uh, folks that literally coined the term biomimicry, uh, as well as... Uh, looking at large social experiments. In fact, the, the ADAR bio, bio, biometric identification project in India, the first one to, it's almost like a social security card for India from zero to 1.2 billion people in less than six years and how they scaled and how they uh, dealt with something in a very, you know, social, almost governmental setting. So we had a lot of different input. I think the biggest lab of all though was our own company before we wanted to take any ideas externally. We said, how will this work for ourselves as we're trying to go from being a traditional company that's had some success to one that's literally competing and sometimes collaborating with the digital superstars out there. So it was a variety of things in trying to synthesize the best ideas. So Jeff, let's talk about the reality that we're still living through the pandemic. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. We've got vaccines that are being administered to frontline healthcare workers, but there's no doubt that coronavirus has really challenged the traditional operating principle in the world of business. Tell me what you're thinking about that and how might that change moving forward? We may not be the first to say it, 
that the pandemic and all its secondary and tertiary implications didn't necessarily create a lot of the the issues that we're facing or the the fragility maybe even in companies. It just revealed them. It revealed that maybe being overly efficient wasn't always the best plan. Being resilient actually had value. Building in buffer, taking an extra time and putting in the hard yards to, to be more flexible and to be more modular and adaptable is just as important as squeezing out that last dollar or last rupee or, or, or whatever else. And so I think that's one big takeaway. In fact, if we hadn't two years prior moved to, to cloud, moved to more flexible ways of working, then we couldn't have, just like other companies were able to do it, be able to flip literally within a week, almost 200,000 people working remotely. And while we were proud of that, we didn't quite realize how profound it was until we were working, we do a lot of work with clients. And so we were saying, trust us, you know, we've got your back because we've been able to make this switch very quickly. And they said, hmm, we'd like to do that too. Can you help us? And so we started realizing that there was a group of companies that had invested in that resilience and flexibility. And then a lot of companies who had intended to were part of the way there, but they were scrambling. And it was both a crisis and I think also a clarifying moment because so many companies and governments and individuals, because they were forced to do something, it wasn't a safe perch they could stay where they could stay, they took the leap. And I think it amazed companies and people what they're capable of. They could move quickly. They could make big decisions fast. And while there's some, some flame outs and some failures, I think that, uh, I hope that the real story uh, of the pandemic when it's told includes all those frontline workers, the heroism there, and also the quiet heroism, a lot of decisions that were made and bold decisions taken by folks that allowed them in their careers and companies with their, with their own um, direction that they were able to take go, and go forward. It's an interesting time because so many companies are struggling to stay relevant. Frankly, so many individuals are trying to stay relevant in a world of work that's changing. And in the book, you reference some of our very commonly accepted business models like digital transformation or design thinking. Are they here to stay or are those going to change? Elements are absolutely here to stay because... There's a reason why they went from a fad to a, to a trend. I, I'm one of the biggest fans of design thinking, for example, which is a lot of it. The issue is moving, and in the case of design thinking, moving it beyond the garage or the unit or the experiment. It's fun. There are lots of things that are manual. You put them on the walls. Teams get together. You, you collapse the experimentation cycle. You diverge, converge, diverge, converge. There's a lot of energy. How do you scale that, though, across the world, across units? And I think that's where things fell down. The old way of a little more command and control, a little more structured, more rigorous, had its issues, but you could scale as long as not too many things changed. So I think evolving these good concepts to, to, a, to apply at scale, to move quickly, uh, and, and also it's not either or. And I think in the past, companies and individuals would say, well, either... I need to be this nimble Silicon Valley kind of startup mentality or this big button down large corporate entity. And the reality is you need to have a structure, a platform that you can quickly launch something because it's a, it's a complex, messy world 
when you start having technology involved and trying to do things at scale. At the same time, you've got to be able to operate on the edge and in a startup mode for new ventures and adopt a VC mentality. And I think a large part of this live enterprise model that we want to share is the combination of those. You've got this shared digital infrastructure. We call it a digital runway, like that sunflower with the ultraviolet guiding those, those, those bees in with this, 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 this venture capital approach where you're launching many things simultaneously, many experiments, and the best ones get, get more funding, get more attention. And when something does work, you, you share it, you unbundle it, take the best parts, rebundle it. I think the combination of those things, all done with what we call micro changes, you know, that is the key because too often you're asked to do something major whether it's a system going live or it's an acquisition or it's a new product launch and the change in behavior and routines is so much, it's hard to really change. But if you make a lot of small changes one after the other, it's less disruptive. And if you look at behavioral science, we also included some of that in, in the thinking here, uh, whether it's nudge choice architecture, atomic habits, you know, th those, t those books that have come out based upon decades of research, it shows that change that's lasting, in your own life or as a company is when it's a series of small changes from which you don't go back to which you don't go back. And I think those are the essential elements of the model. And that's what the pandemic and I think the, the general acceleration of the changes has caused is the companies that can do that have a better chance to be on top of things because if you're moving slowly or you don't have that flexibility, then you're continually playing catch up. Jeff, we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. So Jeff, we've got millions of people listening around the world, and I'm sure some of them are leading large and small organizations and everything in between. But how does live enterprise drill down to the person, right? What's, what's the human connection? What should a listener in Australia today, pick up from what you're sharing about how live enterprise can impact them? Well, at a macro level, this idea that you do need structure and also at the edge, the ability to experiment and move forward. I think this is, you know, keep that in mind. I think as far as tactical steps you can apply right now, the first is connect, be connected, whether it's your devices, whether it's your network, so that you can sense what's going on. Because you, there's a fear of missing out, and usually it's based upon uh, knowing that there are competitors, there, there are opportunities everywhere, but unless you're connected, you won't be aware of them. So connect, observe, and then quickly reason through them and respond. If you can look at your own life, whether it's your office productivity software, the way that your, your, your company is set up, or even on a personal level, there are tools whether it's the note-taking tools or just the sensors or the, in your home, they're smart devices. Just like the pandemic has accelerated 
some trends. That's one I think we all have to do. Even those of us that don't want to be overly connected, or maybe there's some privacy rights and things that start to creep in, that allows the sense and respond and adapt uh, cycle to happen more quickly. And at a company level, there are things that need to be done that are, that are big scale, but even at a department or a personal level, let's face it, what is Alexa and Siri? It's a digital brain that helps you. And digital brain is a concept of being able to quickly take in this information, decide and push out a decision. If it's rules-based, a lot of technology is available at a consumer level as well as a business level to help you. The other element people use every day, but I don't think they apply is the knowledge graph. I mean, that's what Facebook is essentially. They have the world's biggest social graph. Well, this, this concept needs to be applied in every company. Think about that. If you know everything that's going on in your company, what everybody is doing, or at least the actions, and you can share that information, that's a powerful asset. People get that in the abstract. When you actually make it real, that's very powerful. Part of it is because of sharing of information that you can take advantage of what someone else did. And part of it too is if there's an issue, you can divert resources to help that. And I believe the combination of those two things you can apply in your personal life. But you first of all have to get connected and you have to have a, a good response mechanism that uh, whether it's you budget your time, whether it's you build it in. And I think the pandemic has also given a lot of us as we work from home, a little more control over routines. You don't have a commute, maybe not getting on a plane, even though you have family and all the types of chaos, I think the ability to claim more and more of your day into routines so that some of these things can become habits, that allows more flexibility and sensing opportunities. You, you write about the employee experience as the next frontier of corporate performance. What do you mean by that? A good thing happened a few decades ago. When, when companies and people went from being obsessed about quality, which is necessary but not sufficient, to customer centricity. It's about the customer. It's about the customer, which is great. We need to have that. Lost in the mix, though, has been the employee. If you think about the cool technology, it always was for the consumer or for the customer. Any employee in a large company could roll their eyes about the green screens or slow things or basically bad tools they have to get things done because everything was focused on the customer. I think what companies started to realize and really realize during the pandemic, if your employees are your best asset, treat them like it. Give them this Iron Man suit and amplify them. Give them better tools. Remove friction in, in the way they can learn for their job and the career opportunities they have. Because there is a talent war out there but we found that for many of the jobs, it's more of a talent famine. There just aren't enough of the people for all the jobs and the things that need to be done. And so that's why we believe, and our clients and, and fellow researchers out there have, have confirmed this, that that employee experience and make, if the employees are in good shape and they're, first of all, staying with you and developing and growing and passionate about what they're doing, you will have a better customer experience. So that's why we, we see that as the next future. Jeff, can you give an example? And if it's internal to Infosys, that's fine. About the the accelerated employee experience. Well, the the It's accelerated. It's also just a better one. Excellent one. I think one area is for people that travel. Mm -hmm. We'll see how much we travel in the future. The, the claims. 
and travel and in working through the processes. The procurement folks would love to have everything very buttoned down, very rules-based, squeeze out the last bit of efficiency, make sure the claims go in and, and they're only paid in a certain way and they double and triple check. That's very efficient and good for the accountants and the company. But if everything isn't perfect, it's a lot of extra work for, for an employee. I can speak to this first person, <laughs> spending a lot of time on the road. Imagine what happens if you don't have that paperwork, you've got more flexibility, you've got less less uh, approvals, and travel is no longer a burden. So it, it unleashes you when you are traveling, and you come home on a weekend, you're not just working about expense claims and reports. Same thing for all the, you know, we had 120 different applications, you know, systems for employees to use. You know, I mentioned travel, it could be HR, benefits, vacation, whatever it is, including, you know, different types of procurement. We consolidated those into th three mega apps. The things that you do when you come on board of the company, th this mega app for, uh, for basically employee services, and then also one that we dealt with some partners, uh, our learning, our learning platform. It's amazing what happens when you make it simple. One, people actually use them more. And, and two, you, you don't have all the overhead associated with, with it. So, so you actually you comply more because it isn't such a pain to do so, and you actually get more from it. Uh, so I think that's, that's, a, that's a good example for us. We went from 100 to you know, buried into th three, made them very mobile-friendly, so even when in an era that's very, you know, very justifiably paranoid about security and cyber, being able to, to push things to your devices, so your tablet, your smartphone, your personal laptop, you know, whatever you use, you're able to integrate the, these, these tools and leave the laptop. Um, and so I think that's been one good example for us, because it used to be it was a very process-centric, process-heavy company, still a little bit in some cases. But I've noticed in the past three years, it's been a huge burden lifted so you could focus more on getting the actual work done. Do you see, and it's early on, I get it, but do you see or do you anticipate, anticipate how this is impacting leaders, those who are guiding and visioning and developing and grooming teams? It's an insightful question because the traditional model is you think about a pyramid, uh, even if you aren't just administrator you know, middle person pushing papers type of thing. Uh, it's, it's hard for a large span of control. You, some of your best people get promoted and they used to be good at selling or coding or, 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 or administering with HR or leading. And, and what happens is they get farther and farther away from, from the front. What this is allowed with this emphasis on employee experience is you flip it and the, the leaders are actually in the front lines. They have clients, they, they, they're writing, they're producing, they're coding. And that's the biggest thing I've seen in the last four years uh, at Infosys. And, and this is not a monopoly on this. I've seen other companies where you're seeing your people, they're still doing work, hands-on work. And they're involved in the most important things that are going on, not just the most senior span of control uh, types of things. And people are also no longer measured simply on the number of people who quote unquote report to them, but, but the impact they have. Now, sometimes the impact you have is because you, for example, if you have a hundred responsible for a thousand salespeople, let's say, well, 
you do work through them. At the same time, you might personally lead the deals, opportunities, or relationships with a handful of strategic accounts or clients. And if you're an engineer, I know even for my unit, I'm, I'm, I'm writing on a fair amount or I'm actually analyzing data, even though I've got uh, a large team who also does a lot of that work. I think that's the biggest thing. It's flipped the org structure to where it is truly servant leadership as well, because if you're on the front lines, you're making sure that needs are met. And I think that's a big flip from the past where this whole pyramid metaphor uh, implies there's some kind of almost no, not class system, but you know, you're, you're rolling up and it's different. In this case, you're in the trenches and it also plays well or is aligned to what you see, I guess, with social media or some other areas where you've got very much direct access and connection to lots of people, which gets messy at times, right? Because you don't always like to know or hear what people are saying. But at the same time, going back to my previous point, that means you're connected, you're observing, which means you can respond. If you're doing that, you are more agile and more resilient than if you're feeling comfortable in a corner office somewhere with, you know, a nice view. Well, that's exciting. I'm, I'm delighted with that answer. And it, it makes me think about the subtitle of your book. So the book is The Live Enterprise create a continuously evolving and learning organization. And to me, uh, that's enticing, right? To think about how everybody within the organization's leaders and the rank and file can benefit from that. Yeah, well, imagine it, we, 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 we use this phrase, all of us do agile much more frequently now. is isn't just for coding. You, everyone wants to be agile, right? Because it sounds neat. What we found though is you can go to an extreme and say, well, I'll do a scrum or, or a, a quick sprint in not, not a year, not, not a quarter. I'll do it in a week, a day. Well, at some point for, for, for larger initiatives, you can be you know, too much. There's too much chaos. And we found at least for the, our, our larger programs that six weeks was the right time. It was long enough to have a few uh, sprints in for you know, a release. And yet you could do, you could make several in a year. And what we do is every six weeks, like a, like a cadence, something changes. We incorporate. So if it's an app for our employees, if it's a policy, if it's an approach we're taking, if it's employee um, surveys, whatever it is. And our chairman of the board, I mean, very senior people get involved in these reviews. And if you can't make a huge change in that six weeks, fine. You make the change you can't, you do it again and again. And that is the closest thing we found to approximate what evolution is in an enterprise or, or corporate sense, because we are evolving. Just like if you're out in the wilds and the climate's changing, or you now have new predators in your woods, or you lack them, or your food source changes, guess what? You, you make changes. And again, the pandemic when you think about the manufacturers that flip to make respirators or hand sanitizers instead of alcohol, uh, these are these are great stories if you think about it. Well, it was common sense. That was the choice they made and they did what they needed to do to make it happen. We're just trying to do this now in normal course of business. Every six weeks, there's a small but real change made. You do that, of course, across uh, over the course of a year, you've made significant change. And it wasn't this diving catch, heroic thing that you can never replicate. It just becomes part of how you operate. So good segue. Talent isn't just about employees anymore. It's about AI and robots and machines and so many other parts of technology. 
So how can companies capitalize on this shift from what we used to call the classic full-time employee to employees and machines and, and a gig economy on top of that? I think you hit the nail on the head the first thing you said. It's about talent, and talent isn't just about full-time employees. It is about part-time. It's about the partners you have who might be long-term. And this so-called gig economy, the biggest hindrance, or at least recently the biggest hindrance, has simply been, well, on sensitive topics, how do you pull somebody in for a short period and then release them? You could, you could do that, let's say, to, I don't know, clean your lawn or, you know, you know landscaping. But how do you do that for, for hardcore design or something intricate, uh, integral to your company? Because you've got IP considerations. How do you pay them liability? Like right now, temperature checks, you know, for people coming in. And so I think there are platforms that are that are developing that make it easier for the gig economy to um, to to flourish at more and more companies. That's one. Uh, and it's also interesting, the moment you mention a robot or a machine as a resource and it takes on some tasks that may have been done by a human, then it's a teammate. In fact, Dr. Nancy Cook, um, Arizona State, she leads the Human and Robotics Institute there. It's some interesting research. It was also supported for the, for the, uh, for the book. And it's interesting. She actually studies the psychology and the dynamics and literally humans start taking on some of the personalities of these machine or robot teammates. And by the way, empathy goes down in those situations, unfortunately. Uh, it just, it's amazing to see when you redefine the terms and the light bulb goes off and says, ah, that's what a team is. And also as soon as you can establish rules for a process, the way work gets done, you've essentially converted something physical or human into something digital, which means that concept of DevOps, development operations, which most people just think, ah, it's kind of how software is run well. Work becomes digital, digital becomes operational, and all of a sudden DevOps becomes a huge part of people's business. And that's, I think, also some implications that what used to be thought of as very much a coding thing or a computer programming thing is actually a a deterministic work thing. If you can put rules against something, you can digitize it. And that can scare people. At the same time, it allows you to race ahead to the more stochastic or the more um, empathetic and, and higher order types of decisions, which are more valuable. And I think that's where the continuous, not just evolving, we chose that word learning on purpose because lifelong learning isn't just the cliche. You know, we any good company organization needs to provide all kinds of opportunities for their people. If they want them to learn, don't make them go external, give them lots of opportunities uh, for, for self-development where they are, which means you can't just send them off somewhere at a training center for a week. You might have to give it to the modules and you might need to make it more interactive and of course delivered via mobile. Good stuff. Jeff, I always learn so much from you. Thank you for being on the show. Let me tell our global audience about the book. It's called The Live Enterprise, Creating a Continuously Evolving and Learning Organization. And your co-author is Rafi Tarafdar. And the book is widely available on Amazon and of course at major book retailers. Jeff, thanks for spending time with me today. I, I really enjoyed it. And again, I, I learn a lot from you and I'm grateful for that. Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. 
And if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud. And even better, leave us a review. And here's why. A review helps new listeners find us online. And let me know what career-minded issues you would like for me to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. Thanks for listening.